Okay, let's turn to Ephesians. This is really special. I was telling Pastor Wes this morning that this is a frustrating place to study. Let me tell you why. Not, not in, in any bad way. It's frustrating only because there is so much information. There is so much here in these particular verses. I mentioned to you before. I mentioned to you now again. Verses 3 to verse 14 is one complete sentence, one thought. It is separated, though, in three divisions. The first one is verses 3, 4, 5, and 6, as we studied a couple weeks ago. And that is that God the Father, it says, had chosen us before the foundation of this world. And He chose us, we learned it to be holy and blameless in Christ. He has called us. He has securely called us to be a part of His family. He has adopted us as children of His. Then we learned the next section was verses 7 to 12. And it talks about Jesus Christ, God the Father in verses 3 to 6, God the Son in verses 7 through 12. And God the Son, we are told, deals with us in the present tense as we are now. He has redeemed us. He has paid for our sin. And we learned last week that the word redeemed is is critical to understand. We we learned that that the, the first meaning of redeemed means that someone would go to a marketplace and and buy a person, say a a person who is to be their slave. They would buy this person, and with this word redeemed, they could do with this person anything they so desired. They could keep them for themselves, or they could in return sell them or move them elsewhere. That was their decision. The second word we learned for redeemed was that you have the same person on the marketplace and this person comes to purchase this person to redeem him, so to speak, but with the full intention of keeping him only for himself. He would just be his and his alone. He would never get rid of him. The third meaning for the word redeemed was in verse 7 of Ephesians chapter 1. And it meant that it's someone back on the marketplace for sale. This person comes and purchases this person with the sole purpose of setting them free. Allowing them to go free. And that is what Jesus Christ has done for us. In the present time, He has set us free from the bondage of sin. Therefore, Paul reasons with us that in our position, who we are in Christ, we are holy and blameless. It even goes further that Jesus Christ explains Ephesians that we are also without spot or wrinkle. That He will present us one day before God without spot or wrinkle. And I used the example, and I, and I said to you that most of you probably never thought about this, this event in this fashion. You remember when the, the, the scribes and the Pharisees, those self-righteous religious men, came to Jesus Christ with the sole purpose of trying to entrap Jesus Christ. And they used this, this lady who was caught in adultery. And remember I explained that there was no man with her. It was just the lady. And their purpose was not so much her as trying to entrap Jesus Christ. And you remember the event. They came to Jesus Christ and they said, We've caught this woman in adultery. What should we do with her? And you remember what Jesus Christ said to them? He said, Okay, 
those of you who are without sin, what? Go ahead, cast the first stone. Stone her to death, so be it. And he kneels down, remember, and he writes in the dirt. And we don't know what is written, but my speculation is he started writing down their names and their sins. And they all left, one by one, we are told. Even the oldest to the youngest. And then Jesus Christ stood up and he looked at that dear woman and he said, where are your accusers? And she said, they've all left. No one has accused me. And then he said, neither do I. And then he said these words to her, setting her free. Remember, go your way and what? Sin no more. Now he didn't say that to her because she could never live that lifestyle. He said that to her because there was the potential within her, just as there is the potential within us, to be holy and blameless before God. To be positionally who we are in Christ. To allow our practice where all of us are sinners saved by the grace of God. To slowly but surely move our practice, the way we live now on this earth, towards our position of who we are in Christ. To be blameless. To be holy people. To be without spot or wrinkle. You see, if you... If we were to boil down this section of Scripture, I would say to you, I would reason with you, not just to read these words and to, and to kind of, okay, I see what is being said, but, but, but digest them. Take them into your heart. I believe that Paul is trying with all of his heart to allow the churches, because this is a circular letter, this... This letter was going to all of those churches in that area. And Paul is allowing this circular letter to go to all the churches so as to move the believers in Jesus Christ to walk in such a fashion that we, as we've been asked to do, to conform our image or to conform ourselves into the image of Christ. He wanted them to make their, their practice to line up with their position as holy and blameless, without spot or wrinkle. That's what Paul is reasoning with you and I today. As we read through this, we see that we have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And He not only purchased us, but He moved us out of the slavery to sin and set you and me free, free from the bondage of sin once and for all. And so he's asked us to live in that positional state rather than practicing sinning. The Bible's clear. Romans 3.23 says all of us have sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. But believers, we don't have to live like this. It is... It is my purpose as someone who loves you more than I can put into words that, that, that I want you and me to reason within ourselves 
that we, we need to grow as believers in Jesus Christ. We need to become that man, that woman, that young person. We need to become that person that truly walks with our Lord and our God and are a representation of Him on this earth. And man, if we, we need that now, perhaps as, as, as much as I've ever seen in my particular lifetime, we are living in a time where we need to represent the Lord our God in this world in which we live. So, so don't, don't forget, Paul is trying to establish the church through this circular letter. And he desires to do what every pastor worth his weight and salt desires to do. And that is to establish the true church People who will glorify their Lord and their Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, isn't it interesting, as we take a look at at these verses here in chapter 1 of Ephesians, from verse 3 to verse 14, isn't it interesting to see all that the Lord desires to give to His true church, and He asks so little of us in return? We saw in this one section of Scripture, verse 3 to verse 14, three views. We saw the past, how God the Father deals with us and has called us into the family of God, adopted us as children of His. We have seen how now in the present Jesus Christ has redeemed us and has paid the price for our sin and has totally set us free. And now we are going to see today how God the Holy Spirit is going to care for us in the future, that He will securely take us to that place He wants us to be. Let's take a look, just a a little review, just a little review of this place in Scripture. Look at verse 3. We see that God the Father has blessed us with every spiritual blessings. Look at verse 4. We see that He has chosen you and me in Christ before the foundations of this world. And, verse 4, He has made us holy and blameless. Not in our practice, but in our position. But Paul, I believe with all of his heart, wants to move our practice towards who we really are in our position in Christ. In verse 5, we've been told that we have been predestined. We are adopted as children into the family of God. And we see in verse 7 that Jesus Christ redeemed us. In other words, set us free by shedding His blood for our sin, forgiving us. Lavishing upon us in verses 7 and 8, His forgiveness, His wisdom, His insight, according to the infinite riches of His most wonderful grace, unmerited favor, which He has lavished upon you and me. And so we realize in the distant past, God the Father secured us, called us with this great spiritual blessing. And so Paul wants our practice as believers to model our position so that people might see what is it that is so special about you and me as believers in Christ. In verses 7 to 12, we see that we are to live in the present as God the Son secures our salvation. He has redeemed you. He has acquitted you and me. He has set us free from the bondage of sin. Paul wrote in Romans 8, verses 1 and 2, he says, he asks the question before, wretched man that I am, who's going to set me free? 
Who's going to set me free? And he writes in Romans 8, 1 and 2, There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. For the law of the Spirit of the life in Jesus Christ has set set you and me free from the law of sin and death. We're free. And so we need to allow our lives to, to represent that here on this earth. And I believe with all of my heart, that is what Paul is doing in writing this letter to us. Now God makes it clear there is no other way that that He allows mankind to come to Him to be free from this bondage of sin. We, we saw last week in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22. You know it as soon as I start saying it. Without the shedding of blood, there is what? No forgiveness. Without the shedding of blood, no forgiveness. In John chapter 14 and verse 6, or is it John chapter 6? Yeah, John chapter 14, verse 6. Jesus Christ said, I am the way. I am the truth and I am the life. And you cannot come to the Father but through me. So there is no other way. No other way. And so we begin to realize what Paul is writing in this letter to the Ephesians. And we become secure through the blood of Christ. Well, that security unfolds even further as we look into the future of the church. In other words, the future of you and me as believers in Jesus Christ, where God the Holy Spirit is going to secure you and me forever. Forever and ever. He seals our eternal destiny, we're going to find in verses 13 and 14. He is going to give you and me an inheritance as a pledge. He has sealed us and He has made His pledge by, as it says in verse 13, the Holy Spirit of promise. This is, this is really the most amazing place in Scripture. Let's read from verses 11 to verse 14. It says at the end of verse 10, In Him, in Christ, also we have obtained an inheritance. I'm in verse 11 right now. Having been predestined according to His purpose, who works all things after the counsel of His will, to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ should be to the praise of His glory. In Him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed you were sealed in Him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with the view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of His glory. Folks, this is like... A hallelujah chorus. This is really some an amazing, exciting words concerning your and my faith in Jesus Christ. It sets you and me so secure that we ought to go out in this world in which we live, free from the bondage of sin, living a life that represents our Lord in this world that we now live in, that so desperately, desperately, needs to, to know our Savior. And with each passing day, now I don't want to get political, but with each passing day, I will say this, we are moving further and further away from an acceptance of 
of God in any form. Oh, I'll take that back. They'll let us have any form of God. But God forbid you want to believe in Jesus Christ. We're moving away from that. We need to have people that are really sincere and very much alive in who He is within our lives. People need to hear. We need to tell them. Let's pray first. Dear Father, please do us the greatest privilege of life. And that is open up our eyes so that we might behold wonderful things from your law. So that we might see the wonders of who we are in the Bibles that we hold in our laps. So that we would look at your words as you have them written down so that we might, we might comprehend what you're saying to us from your heart to our hearts. Father, for that to take place, I, I beg of you that you would move me aside, that you would actually hide the one that gives the message behind the wonders of your most glorious words that we might hear from you, not from a speaker. Uh, take the time that I spent, Father, studying this and, 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 and move away anything that might be disruptive, but bring to light, Father, anything and everything that you allowed me to study that might bring an understanding to any of them in each of our hearts so that we might become, as I believe Paul is, is purposed, that we might become conformed into your son's image. That we might truly walk as a people who are holy and blameless before you. That we would truly walk as a people who are without spot or wrinkle. That, Father God, by your grace, we might represent you here on this earth at this time in which we live. Bless this time, Father, we pray in Jesus' most precious name. Amen. Okay, look, at verse 13 kind of starts with this, with this, I was going to say promise, but this is the promise. It says in verse 13, look, it says, In Him, talking about in Christ, also after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having believed you were sealed in Him. Now he's talking about the Holy Spirit. You have been sealed in Him with the Holy Spirit of promise. In Romans chapter 4 and verse 21, it says this. Paul writes these words concerning our God. He says, be fully assured of this. Romans 4.21 That what God has promised, He is able also to perform. What He has promised, He will bring to pass. And what He has promised... He has given to you and me as a part of our lives here on this earth now. We have been given the Holy Spirit of promise living within us. So God's guarantee, His promise of our faith shall one day be complete. We are secure because the Holy Spirit is going to take us into the future and, and bring us to God complete and whole. In fact, I'd love for you to see this. There's, there's a, a, a dynamic place in Scripture where Jesus Christ assures the people if they would just trust in Him, he would, he would care for them all of their lives until they come to be with Him in heaven. Look at John chapter 6 with me for a moment. Look at John chapter 6, verses 37 through 40. Amazing place in the Word of God. 
They are questioning Jesus Christ. They're asking Him, tell us plainly, who are you? Uh, How do we know what you're trying to say to us is from God? How do we know who are you? And He says to them, I've told you. And then He tells them this promise. Verse 37. Jesus Christ says, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And then He says, and the one who comes to me I will what? I will certainly not cast out. That takes the gospel and it moves it to both places. Whether you believe that you have been chosen or you believe that you came to God on your own, it doesn't really matter. That particular verse meets both places at Jesus Christ and at the feet of Jesus Christ. All that the Father will give me, that person's going to come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will not certainly not cast out. Because, he says in verse 38, I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but to do the will of Him who has sent me. Now he says in verse 39, which ought to make you and my eyes just and, and ears just perk up and, 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 and try to figure out what is being said, because Jesus says, this is the will of Him who sent me. My goodness, what... What more can you and I ask for when reading out of the Bible? We get to know what the will of God is. This is the will, Jesus Christ says, of the one who has sent me. And here's his will. Jesus says that of all that he has given me, I lose nothing, but will raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in Him will have eternal life. I myself, Jesus Christ promises, will raise that person up on the last day. He asks us to do two things. Behold. The word behold is a, is a great word in the, in the Greek. It means to examine as under a microscope. It means to take a good, hard look at Jesus Christ. He's not afraid for you and me to examine Him. Because once we do, we will come to the same conclusion that everyone ought to come to. And that is, we've got to believe in Him. So He says, for everyone who beholds me and then believes in me, I'm going to give you eternal life. And I'm going to raise you up on that last day. You talk about being secure. You talk about being assured of who you are in Christ. It is here, though, if you move back to Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, actually verses 11 through 14, it is here that the fulfillment of that promise that Jesus Christ makes concerning the will of God, that God guarantees every single one of us who believes in His Son that we are secure in our future through the Holy Spirit. It says in verse 11, In Him you and I have obtained an inheritance. Listen, apart from Jesus Christ, the only inheritance that anyone has to look forward to is condemnation. That's the inheritance of a non-believer. That's all they have looked forward to. To be condemned. But as we saw just a moment ago, Paul writes to you and me, those of us who are in Christ, there is no longer any condemnation for those of us who are in the Lord. We've passed away from that condemnation. Jesus Christ took it upon Himself to be our sin, to wipe our leisure clean, to make us holy and blameless, without spot or wrinkle. You know, 
in this life in which we live, God doesn't just bless believers. Not at all. We're reminded in the book of Matthew, the fifth chapter, the 45th verse, that God will show His kindness to the evil person just as much as He will show His kindness to the good person. It says in Matthew 5.45, He, God, causes the Son, in other words, not the Son, Jesus Christ, but the Son, to rise on the evil as well as the good. It says that, that He sends rain on the righteous as well as the unrighteous. So God shall give physical blessings to all people, good or not so good. But, as Paul is teaching us, God will only give His spiritual blessings to those of us who are in His Son, Jesus Christ. Look again, remind yourself of verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. In verse 11, the words, we have obtained an inheritance, translates into one single compound word in the Greek. It is E-K-L-E-R-O-T-H-E-M-E-N. Why is this word so important? Listen, listen closely. When the Greeks spoke of something that was going to take place in the future, and they spoke of it as if it were to happen with certainty, it was unable to fail. They used this word that is used here, we have obtained an inheritance. E-K-L-E-R-O-T-H-E-M-E-N. It's to speak of a future event as though it had already taken place. Therefore, when Paul states in verse 11, you and I have obtained an inheritance, to Paul, it's already happened. Let me reiterate. Let me show you this word used again in second chapter of Ephesians. Look at verses 4, 5, 6, and 7. Paul uses this term again, implying that what he is telling the people has already taken place. Let me, before I read verses 4 through 7, I'm studying this place in Scripture. Honest, I'm right about here in my study. And I'm so deep in my study, I'm at my desk, I'm just going after it, and the phone rings, and I, I, I got startled, it scared me, I just, I, it just rang and just startled me. And, and, and it was a call from a dear, dear friend. And this friend said to me, one of my best friends in life has just passed away. I just heard. And I want to know, I want to know what has happened. Will I see her again? We talked for a while and we talked about her loved ones who had accepted Christ, who had died and before and, and been in heaven. And I could assure her with the very authority of the Word of God that they are with each other right now. They are hugging each other's neck right now in heaven itself. And then I went on to say this. And because I believe that heaven is eternal, there's no time in heaven. There's no uh, hours and seconds and minutes in heaven. There's just eternity. I said to that per- the person that called, 
you don't know it. You, you can't sense it yet, but you're right there in the midst of them, hugging on them and loving them and, and telling them how much you care for, for the, each other. You see, things are going to happen in your life and my life that are going to happen with certainty. There is no doubt. So Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, these words, listen. God, being rich in mercy because of His great love by which He has loved us. Watch this now. Verse 5. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, Note, God made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you and I have been saved. Verse 6, now Paul uses this Greek word of certainty as if what he is explaining to the people in Ephesians and anyone else that would read this letter, he is explaining to them as if what he is going to tell them has already taken place. It's the Greek word, E-K-L-E-R-O-T-H-E-M-E-N. He says, and He, I added the word He, raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Paul writes these words as if they had already taken place. Even though we have not died yet, even though we have not experienced it yet, Paul is saying it is a slam dunk. It is going to happen. Verse 7, so that the ages to come, in the ages to come, He might show the surpassing riches of His grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. You see, folks, we are there with Him. We just can't see it yet. We are there. It is going to happen. As, in fact, it is, in God's eyes, it is already taken place. We are there. So Paul speaks of this event as though it has already taken place. In 2 Corinthians, Paul says, For as many are the promises of God, in Him they are yes. Therefore also through Him is our amen. In other words, so be it. It's going to happen. Now, as you and I can read in this section in Scripture, actually from verses 3 to verse 14, but verses 11 to 14, it is God who makes all of this happen. It is God who, who gives and fulfills all of these promises for you and me. He predestined these things to take place according to, verse 11, the counsel of His will. It's going to take place. You and I cannot stop it. Your fate is in God's hands. But, but this is true of, of, of anyone and everything anyways. Whether someone knows him or not, he is in total control. He always has been in control, and he always shall be in control. Remember, he is, as it said in verse 4, in the distant past, he chose you and me in himself, before the very foundations of this world, that we might be holy and blameless before him. And Paul writes in Philippians 1, Verse 6, I am confident, he says, of this very thing. And I, I ask, when I read things like that, I say, what are you confident in, Paul? And he writes that he who began a good work in you is going to perfect it 
until the day of Jesus Christ. Yeah, we are secure, folks. We are secure in Christ, who is, verse 12 tells us, our hope. Hope is the same as faith. We hope to the praise of His glory. Jesus Christ is glorified in and through your life, in and through your salvation. That's why Paul is saying, let your, let your practice fall in line with, with, with your position. Live holy. Live blameless lives. Live without spot or wrinkle so that the people might see the wonders of God in and through your and my life here on this earth. Now, one of the greatest places in all of Scripture is here in verses 13 and 14, and that is our salvation is guaranteed to the nth degree. It begins by, by telling us, look at verse 13, in Him, after you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. I, I don't want to go off on this over and over and over again, but folks, there is... No other way for people to be secure in who we are in Christ. There is no other way for us to really live this godly life that God has asked us to live apart from the Word of God. We are told by Paul again in Romans chapter 10 and verse 17 that faith comes by hearing and hearing by what? The Word of God. That's why we preach the gospel here. That's why we preach the truth of the Word of God here. We don't give you a philosophy of life. We give you what, we try to anyways, to give you what, what God says we ought to be like, what God says we ought to live like. And so note, verse 13 begins, in Him. In other words, in Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus Christ is the only way to obtain this salvation. And you get it by believing after you have listened to the message of truth and, and, and the gospel of your salvation. Then you and I must believe consistent to every person that ever walked the face of this earth is belief, trust in Jesus Christ. It's essential. There is no other way. And so it says in verse 13, having believed in Him, then you are sealed. Sealed in Him with the Holy Spirit of promise. God the Holy Spirit reigns within your life. He reigns within your very being. You have been sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise. Note verse 14. Who has been given as a pledge of our inheritance. With a view to the redemption of God's own possession. To the praise of His glory. It's here. It is here in verses 13 and 14. That an almighty God guarantees His promises to you. That you have been called by Him to be holy and blameless. You've been adopted into the family of God. You have been redeemed. You have been set free from the bondage of sin. His promises are guaranteed with the seal of the Holy Spirit and the pledge of the Holy Spirit. God's seal and God's pledge upon you means that you are His forever. There's no getting away from Him, folks. The word pledged is also used as a form of the word in the Greek as an engagement ring, a, a promise, a, a promise to be married. We are told that we are to be the bride of Christ one day. 
And so as verse 14 closes out, this pledge of our inheritance comes with a view, verse 14, to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of, note, His glory. We are God's own possession. We are saved. We are sealed. We have been given a pledge. We are chosen by God, adopted into His family. We have been redeemed, not for our glory, but for the praise of His glory. Listen, believer, for you and me to take any credit concerning our salvation or our gifts or our talent or our ministry or our service before God is to rob God of what is wholly His. There's none of us that can, can say, look what I have done for the cause of Christ. No, what you and I do Paul is trying to make us understand from the very depth of who we are what you and I do, we do for the praise of His glory. We do it so as to glorify His holy and righteous name. We live, we're saved, we serve our God solely because it praises and glorifies His most precious name. That's why we're alive, folks. That's why you and I draw breath. We live to praise and to glorify God in and through our daily lives. The psalmist writes in Psalms 150 verse 6, you know this, I bet, let everything that has breath, what? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. When I got through with this part of the message, I started to write something that I wanted to say to you. And I started off by saying, church, I want you to do me a favor. And I thought to myself, how foolish. This church owes me nothing. I owe this church everything. You don't need to do me a favor. And so I rewrote, and I want you to say, better do God a favor. Let Him see you and me live our lives daily for Christ. Let us... Show Him that our position, the position in Christ that He has given every single one of us, let us make our position in Christ a part so strongly that our practice becomes holy and blameless without spot or wrinkle. You can do it, folks. We can do it. We have been set free from the bondage of sin. we just got to want to do it. Let us live our lives before our Savior, not only today, but every day that He gives us breath as a representation of who He is on this earth. Some of the people out there, only Bible they're ever going to lay their eyes on will be your lives. The only understanding of God that they will ever see will be you and me and how we act and how we react. Sometimes it's just, I think, just a little, maybe a smile. Uh, I don't know. Maybe just a thank you. I don't know. And the other day, I, my wife called and she said, let's go have a bite to eat. And we went out to have a bite to eat. And sitting at the table next to us was this couple that come in with their kids and just a beautiful looking family. And so, I, I don't know, Kay won't do this, but I do this. As we were leaving, I stopped and I said, what a beautiful family you have, sir. You should, you should be so proud of them. 
I didn't share the gospel. I just said something kind. Hopefully God will use that. It's not my responsibility. It's God's. My responsibility is to be some, some kind of light in this world in which we live. Some kind of a, a draw a person to kindness. Somehow. That's what Paul is trying to teach you and me. That's why he has made it abundantly clear that you're secure. You've been secured in the past by God the Father. He has called you before the foundation of this world to be a person who's holy and blameless. He took care of that in the present by allowing His Son to go to the cross and redeeming, shedding His blood to pay for your sins so that you might be set free from the bondage of sin. And He has taken God the Holy Spirit and He has allowed Him to be your future pledge and your future seal of an inheritance that is yours and that will never be taken away from you. I don't know how much more you and I can ask for. I don't know how much more any person can can ask God of. His kindness is overwhelming. He has given us so much and He asks so little in return. It's my desire for you and me to not simply to be a church. Ah, we're a church. It is my desire for you and me to be a church filled with godly people who walk with Him, who represent Him, who act like it in every facet of our lives. Now the ball's in our court, yours as well as mine, to be that type of person. How you do it, as I said last week, I'm not sure I know. I, I set my watch to beep. It's a silly little thing, but it's a reminder. It's just a reminder that I belong to someone far greater than myself. Father, I want to thank you for who you are. I want to just ask your blessings upon each of us here. Father, may we be a people that is not just a church, but Father, a church that is filled with a group of people who absolutely adore you, who understand what you're trying to teach us. Help us, Father, that we might be a people who live our position in Christ rather than our practice, that we will take a serious look at who we are and become as close to holy and blameless as possible, to become a people without spot or wrinkle, that we might, Father God, be conformed into the image of your Son. Thank you so much, dear Father, for everybody here. I love them. Dear Father, I love them more than I can put into words. I think you know. I pray that you'll bless each of us as we go our way today. And again, Father, bless BBS that uh, you just really watch over and care for all the kids and keep them safe. And let this week that they will experience here at this church be something that will impact their lives into their adulthood. I pray these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I love you all so much. Have yourselves a great, great day. God bless you.